God's word to us this morning begins in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verse 67. Hear the word of the Lord. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of which our God, with which the sunrise from on high shall visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. We'll turn now to Galatians chapter, 5, uh, chapter 3, excuse me, verse 15. <clears throat> Galatians three fifteen, Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations. Even though it is only a man's covenant, yet when it has been ratified, no one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is Christ. What I am saying is this, the law which has come 430 years later does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise, but God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator, until the seed should come to whom the promise had been made. Now a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if a law had been given which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. But the scriptures has shut up all men under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the laws become our tutor to lead us to Christ, that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Now please turn to the back of your bulletin. We'll read together as a congregation Psalm 114. Psalm 114, when Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, 
Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. The sea looked and fled, Jordan turned back, the mountains skipped like rams, the hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee, O Jordan, that you turn back, O mountains, that you skip like rams, O hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turns the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a spring of water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, we thank you that you have been gracious towards us and you have revealed yourself in your word. And we thank you that this morning you come to talk to us from your word to tell us about yourself in this great section, the most open and earliest revelation of the triune God. We thank you that you invite us into your presence, and we thank you that you give us your word, and we thank you that you give us your spirit who helps us to understand your word. You know that your word is opaque to us at times. You know that we all come with different aptitudes. Some parts of scripture are harder to understand and This is one of the hardest parts, and so we pray that you'd give us success this morning and bless us. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. There's a man named Richard Hayes. Probably most of you have never heard of him. He's written a lot of books on how to read the Bible and how to put the Old Testament and New Testament together. I can't remember if he's died. I kind of think he has, but I may be wrong there. I don't want to broadcast death when there isn't any. He taught, if he's still alive, he teaches at Duke Divinity School. And he has helped the church in the last 40 years incredibly. He is the one who has helped the church leave behind Proof texting. Proof texting is when you have a subject you want to cover, you search for a little verse in the Bible, and you draw it out, and maybe it says what you want it to say, but the context from which you have taken it is totally not the same. Well, we find that in Galatians chapter 3. So the church has done proof texting of quotes from the Old Testament, And what Richard Hayes taught the church was, no, when you quote Genesis 15, 6, when Paul quotes Genesis 15, 6, everybody knows Genesis 15, 6, right? And Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. When you quote it, you bring with it all of Genesis 15. That's what Paul does. That's not typically what we do. So we're going to try this morning to have success in Galatians chapter 3. We won't be able to deal with it in detail. Our goal is even to get into chapter 4. First, 
let me remind you, as I've done the last couple of weeks, that uh, just like us, Greek and Hebrew words can have more than one kind of translation. And I don't know if it's, if it's clicked with you yet, but the word in Hebrew for righteousness and the word in Greek for righteousness is the same word for justification, is the same word in Greek for justification. But in Hebrew, the word righteousness, justification, can have a forensic sense. It's legal. That's what we mostly know. We know that because of the Reformation, and thank God for the Reformation. But the word righteousness, the word justification, can also have a covenant sense. So sometimes when you see the word righteous in the Old Testament, it's talking about a covenant. It is not talking about being righteous. It's talking about a covenant. And I have uh, taken you twice now to Psalm 106, verse 31, which is the exact phrasing of Genesis 15, 6. The only other place in the whole Bible where it's exactly the same in in Psalm 106, verse 31, it clearly is talking about covenant. God reckoned it to him as righteousness, but then the very same thing that Phineas did in other places, God gave him a covenant of peace for all generations to his seed. And so the point I'm trying to get across, which I was informed this week, I'm not getting it across. The point I'm trying to get across is that Galatians is not forensic. Now, that's not the way we've been taught. And our minds default automatically to forensic. Oh, justification, that means I believe in what Jesus did at the cross and my sin is placed to his account and he pays for my sins and his righteousness is placed to my account and I'm declared righteous. That is a biblical truth. That is an important truth. That is the Reformation truth. That is not what Galatians is talking about. Galatians is talking about covenant. Covenant in the sense of like a marriage covenant covenant in the sense of having a family covenant. Galatians is about family. Who sits at the table? Of course, on one side you could say, well, the only people who can sit at the table of the Lord Jesus Christ are those who have been forensically justified. That's a true statement. But you see, there's the backside of that, which is community. Those who can sit at the table are family Members, we always default away from such things when we see the word justification to something forensic, something legal. That's the default of our minds. That's the way we've been taught. I'm trying to move you from that in Galatians to see that Galatians is talking about a new creation and a new creation of a family. Turn, if you would, to Galatians chapter 1. 
Verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Okay, so I was reading a book last night at 2 in the morning. And it wasn't on this subject. It was on a completely different subject. But he mentioned about the future. And he said, we're living in the present evil age. And we're waiting for the new age. That, my friends, is not biblical. Notice what he says, to deliver us out of the present evil age. Paul and the Galatians are living in the evil age. But the evil age, not, we're not talking about evil disappearing. The evil age comes to an end when Jesus Christ died and a new age began, a new creation. The first creation of the new age is what? Or should I say who? It's Jesus Christ. When you come out of the ground, when the Lord returns, you will be a new creation. Your dead body that will have disintegrated and largely disappeared, if not totally, will come to life, a new creation. So when you get to the end of the book, Paul says, May I never boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what matters is the new creation. So from chapter 1 to chapter 6, this is the topic of the book, a new creation. And within this creation, there are forensically justified people, but the, the concern of the book, the concern of the book is the family. And families function best when there's unity within the family. When there's not unity within the family, we say that is a dysfunctional family. Galatians is talking about a family that sits down at the table. And when you get together with your family around the table and there's hostility and disagreement, that table fellowship is not very good. And when the church has divisions as the early church did and they come to sit down at the table, the fellowship is not very good. And not only that, there's something more incredibly awful. And that is this, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, when you have love for one another. Now, Jesus, of course, is not talking about some ushy-squishy sentimental kind of love. He's talking about a love that really cares for people so that when you see somebody who's doing something wrong, you love them enough to say to them, that is not the right thing to do. You are tearing up your life. Galatians is about family.
Galatians also uses the word Christ. Remember, Christ is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Messiah. It means anointed one. Both in Hebrew and in Greek, Christ comes as a statement about the anointed one, Jesus, our Lord. Christ also is used in an incorporative sense. This is not in dispute. I'm not telling you something that's disputed now. So that when you see the word Christ in certain places, it doesn't just mean Jesus. It means Jesus and all of his people attached to him. Of course, when you read the Old Testament, you get that sense about a king. A king is not just a single man by himself. He's got incorporated all around of all his people. He represents them all. So in Galatians, in particular places, one we're going to look at, Christ is incorporative. So we've seen in chapter 2 that there was a problem in Galatia, and it was a problem caused by no one less than the man upon whom the church was founded. Your name is Peter. And upon this rock I found my church. And the man upon whom the church was founded, don't misunderstand me, I'm not Roman Catholic. I don't believe what they say. But I do believe Matthew chapter 16 and Peter's confession with him. And of course, all the apostles then are brought together in that. This is how the church is founded. And then you have this remarkable, remarkable scene where Peter has been to Cornelius' house and he's seen the Holy Spirit descend upon Gentiles, just like happened at Pentecost. And he listened to them, praising the Lord. And he knew what it was, and he got in trouble when he went back to Jerusalem because he had associated with Gentiles, and he said, what could I do? I was just teaching them, and the Spirit descended. And so everybody settled down and said, oh, so repentance has been granted to the Gentiles as well. Now, having been through that, he goes to Antioch, and he sits and he enjoys meals with Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians all mixed together. And then some men come from Jerusalem who are called the circumcision. Now, we do not have a straightforward idea what all the circumcision taught. If you think it's monolithic, you're probably incorrect. So there are those who taught that Gentiles could believe and, quote, be saved, but to associate with the Jewish side of the church, you had to be circumcised. Where would they get that from? Very simple, right out of the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament, Gentiles were, quote, unquote, saved, justified, but they could not eat the meal at Passover unless they were circumcised. Now, I bring that up because I don't want you to get tracking back into, okay, well, we're just talking about, uh, we're just talking about whether one believes or one lives by law. That's not exactly what we're talking about. 
So in Galatians chapter 2, we were introduced to this problem, and in Galatians chapter 3, we continue. It's not like we've dropped the issue. Remember, you know Galatians, as one author said, it's a red-hot epistle. You know, because right at the very front, Paul says, you know, if an angel from heaven comes and teaches another gospel, let him be accursed. It's a hot gospel because hot things are going on. And when you think of gospel, please have more broader idea. The gospel in Galatians is what? It is. You have been delivered out of the present evil age. That's the good news. You are in the age of new creation. And your Jesus, your anointed one, your king is Lord. And Joe Biden does not rule over the world. The Lord Jesus Christ does. That's the message of Galatians. Now, of course, within that, there is what I've termed the narrow gospel. That is, <laughs> you have to believe in what Jesus has done at the cross in order for your sins to be forgiven. And you will go to heaven, although that is also not the message of the Bible. The message of the Bible is the new creation. You will die. You will go to heaven. But heaven is not your home. You're not made for heaven. You're made for the earth. And you will rise again and you will live on the earth in the new creation when we are, well, we're living in it now and we're making things new because the way God does things is God does things through people. All through the Bible, God works through people. He's working through us. Now, one more thing and then we're going to get started. You see, this is going to take two hours. Put your seatbelts on. One more thing. In chapter 3, Abraham is a prominent figure. It's not like Paul said, okay, look, see, I'm talking about this subject. Where can I find this? He goes out and finds, oh, yeah, here's Abraham. Let me use it. No, Abraham is crucial, crucial, crucial. And Abraham is crucial in the context of the Bible. All of us know that based on, and Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. But the chapter's bigger. And Abraham is brought along as the one in whose family the Adam problem is going to be fixed. So from Adam, we have a fall. And then we have a new creation. And then at Babylon, we have a fall. And here comes Abraham. In your seed... All the nations of the earth will be blessed. In your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abraham and his seed are going to bring blessing to all the nations of the earth, to all the families of the earth. So from Genesis chapter 12 onward, this is the project of the Old Testament. And God was not making a mistake. And when Abraham was called in this covenant, then God 
took Abraham's family and he put them into slavery into Egypt and he redeemed them out of Egypt and they came out to Mount Sinai and a covenant, another covenant was added. So now we don't just have the Abrahamic covenant, now we have a law covenant, the Mosaic covenant. And these two seem to clash. And that's what chapter 3 is about. So, Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 5 are about the foolish Galatians who have been bewitched, they've been seduced, they're the ones through whom, uh, who have seen Christ port publicly portrayed as crucified. That might have been through Paul's preaching. It might have been because Paul was so beaten up that when he came, his whole body spoke about the crucifixion of Christ. But this is what it says in verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Notice, Spirit, flesh. What do you think flesh means? Flesh means, in this context, what? Based on what we've just come off of. They're compelling them to be circumcised. Now, you're, you're, are you going to be perfected by getting circumcised? No. Look, the Spirit's already come, and he came apart from circumcision, and he came with faith, and in your midst, he's been doing miracles. So why would you even listen to the people from James? Does he then, who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you, do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Well, the answer is simple. It's like at Cornelius' house. Those Gentiles, the Spirit fell upon them before they were even baptized. And they spoke in tongues. Everybody could see what happened. There were no works of the law. Now, the works of the law here, again, we're, 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 we're like robots. We see works of the law and we think, okay, we're talking about the whole law and you can't keep the law and get saved. That's not what it's talking about here. We know by the context. The works of the law are the things that allow a Gentile to jump over here to be a Jew. What does that include? Well, the main one is circumcision. That's the context. The book is about being compelled to be circumcised. The other Jewish markers are Sabbath. The Sabbath is the sign of the covenant. Other Jewish markers are eating in a certain way kosher food. Why? Because if you take a whole country and you say you've got to eat this way, you have just separated that country from all other countries. They can't very well travel and eat somebody's home because the food won't be right. This is a way God separated Israel from the nations by a diet. But in Galatians, the issue is not so much the diet. The issue is not so much the Sabbath. That's a little bit of But the issue is circumcision. 
Okay? So you see, we're picking up the same topic of chapter 2. Galatians, look, Peter's separated from you. Now, are you going to listen to that? Are you going to get circumcised? Remember, the Spirit came without circumcision. The Spirit came by faith. The Spirit's been working among you, doing miraculous things without circumcision. Now you're going to get circumcised? So there you have it. Okay, the next paragraph is just phenomenal, as if the first wasn't. Verses 6 through 9. Even so, or so you see is kind of the idea. We're, we're linking, he's going to link Abraham now to what he's been saying to them. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Straight quote from Genesis 15, 6. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are what? Justified? No! Sons of Abraham. Wait a minute. When we talk about Israel, we talk about Jews, we're talking about blood, 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 blood. Paul's not talking about blood. Paul's talking about the promise. The promise. Ah, oh, you see, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And everyone who believes, these are the sons of Abraham. Oh, these are the seed of Abraham. Okay, jump down chapter 3, look at verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus, or through the faithfulness of Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew or Greek. There is neither male, bond or free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, now, how do you belong to Christ? Well, in this context, you're baptized into Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, is the word, sperma. In your seed, Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You are Abraham's seed and heirs according to promise. What promise? The Abrahamic promise. That's what he's talking about. So notice, you know, when you write a paper, you're supposed to give your introductory paragraph about what you're going to say and how you're going to do it, and then you write all the stuff out, and then you give the concluding paragraph, and it's supposed to go back over, and the two paragraphs are supposed to match up and enlighten what's in the middle. Now, students don't all do that very well. But Paul does. So at the very top of chapter 3, we got spirit. At the very bottom of chapter 3, what do we have? We have spirit. And this astounding point, there's not a Jew or a Greek. God is not interested in blood, not your blood. He's interested in what? Faith. 
If you're a believer, you are the seed of Abraham. Now, I don't know how a dispensationalist is going to deal with that. You'll probably have to stick it in his pipe and smoke for a while to figure that one out. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him for, as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scriptures foreseen that God would justify the Gentiles. Now, you could say, well, justify here means forensic. Well, it, that's certainly behind it, but in the context, it's covenant, make them family. God who justifies the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel, the good news beforehand to Abraham saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. Okay, over here, the spirit came. It didn't come by circumcision. It, I shouldn't say it. He did not come by circumcision. He came by faith. Here, everybody who's of faith, what? they're sons of Abraham. They're the seed of Abraham. And Abraham is the man who under covenant has a mission. And his mission is to bless all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth. That's his mission. Now, this is to be done through him and his seed. And now, you at McKinney Bible Church, see this? Your father is Abraham. That's the point. Now, I, I was trying to think, well, how, how can I convey what I'm trying to say? I, I want people to get it. And I, then, then it somewhat dawned on me. I don't know if this will help at all. I have four adopted grandchildren. My grandchildren know mom and dad and brothers and sisters and grandma and grandpa. They don't know anything about the legal aspect of the adoption. One side's forensic, the other side is familial. This is what Galatians is about. You're sons of Abraham. You're heirs of the promise. Well, the earnest of the promise, the down payment of the promise in the new creation is the Holy Spirit who is going to make all things new. So he's saying over here, did you get the Spirit by getting circumcised? No, you got the Spirit by faith. Now, do you think you're going to grow more holy by getting circumcised? No, you're going to grow more holy by faith with the work of the Spirit. And by the way, you see, this is just how it worked with Abraham. He believed God, and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. And if you go back to Genesis 15, the whole chapter is about what? Inheritance. Abraham says to God, Oh, my servant will be my heir. No, because God promised him. That's the covenant. It has promises. No, no, your servant's not going to be your heir. 
The seed's going to come from your body, from you and your wife. And look, see all those stars? If you can count those, your seed will be like that. And he believed God and it was reckoned to him for righteousness. And what happened? Boom! Right away. Next. Covenant. God made a covenant with him. And the smoking oven passed between the animal parts. And God told him what was going to happen. You're going to go down into the land of Egypt. And 430 years later, you're going to come up because of the sin of the Amorite is not yet full. Okay? That's six, seven, eight, and nine. 10 through 14 is a section we like, so we should. I'm not sure it's a section we've understood very well. It's about the covenant and the curse. The covenant and the curse. Well, so we read 10 through 14 with rather New Testament eyes. But Paul is pulling from the Old Testament. And so what he has to say has to be seen through Old Testament eyes. And so I'm going to tell you right up front, when he's talking about the curse, he's talking about the curse of the Mosaic covenant. And the curses and blessings of the Mosaic covenant are given in chapters 27, 28, and 29, 30, 31, 32. The whole section is this along these lines. And what is the curse of the covenant? Now, do not misunderstand me. Don't say, well, Craig said people don't go to hell. That is not true. I believe people go to hell. But the curse of the covenant in Deuteronomy is not about hell, unless you want to say it's hell on earth. It's about being vomited and shoved out and pushed out of your country to go live among a bunch of idolaters who are going to abuse you and misuse you because you didn't follow your God. That's the curse of the covenant. You can read it in chapters 27 and 28. It's quite lengthy. The blessing section is much shorter. The cursing section is much longer. And it includes mothers eating their own children. That's how bad it gets. That's what Paul is quoting from. He is not quoting in a Christian uh, uh, post-Reformation, if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell. Of course, if you don't believe, you're going to go to hell. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about a man that God drew up to get the creation project back on track, named Abraham, who's going to bless the world through his seed. And he's following that track. But what's going to happen in that track is first his seed's going to go down into Egypt, they're going to be enslaved, then they're going to be delivered, they're going to come out to Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai they're going to get the covenant of Moses, the Mosaic covenant, and the Spirit is going to march them through, through 40 years in the wilderness by a cloud of fire at night, and a pillar of cloud at, during the daytime, and bring them to the promised land. In the process, God gave them a law, the Mosaic law, to guide them, to help them. Chapter 3 has a lot on that. We won't get to it all today. And, and, and uh, to get them all the way through. But in that covenant, in that law, in that Mosaic law, it's quite clear. It's quite clear. And he's going to quote it in here. Okay, so look at verse 10 in uh, chapter 3. For as many as are of the works of the law are 
under a curse because it is written. Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Cursed, look at the beginning, for as many as are of the works of the law. Now, right away we look at that and we say, okay, now look, if you're going to try to be righteous by the works of the law, this is what the law says, you're under a curse. But Paul is quoting within a context and the works of the law in Galatians are referring to circumcision. So if you are part of the Gentiles, why would you want to be circumcised? Let me tell you. If you are circumcised, you are under the curse of the law because the law was not given to Gentiles, was it? It's Israel's constitution at Mount Sinai. And it says, if you do this, you will live. When it says you will live, it is not talking about perfect doing, nor is it talking about a perfect life. It's talking about if you live by what I've said, you'll go into the land and you will prosper and you will have a good life. If you don't do what I said, you will be vomited out of the land, you will be cast out among the Gentiles who are a bunch of idolaters, and you will serve gods of stone and wood. That's precisely what happened to them. That is the curse of the law. Now, of course, there's a New Testament application of that. If you don't come to faith in Christ, if you do not see what he did for you on the cross, if your sins remain unforgiven because you refuse him, you are under a curse. And we know as we read the New Testament, that curse is being cast out of the land of the living. Not out of Israel, out of the land of the living into a place of outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, into a place that's called the lake of fire so that you're separated from God forever. But that is not what Paul is talking about. He's following a line of history of the Old Testament. And so he quotes from Deuteronomy and says, if you don't do all of this, well, then you're under the curse of the law. Look at verse 11. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident for, now he quotes from Habakkuk, the righteous, the just man shall live by faith. Now what is the context of Habakkuk 2.4 where this is taken from? The context, if you go back and you read Habakkuk, chapter 1 is all about what? It's all about Israel being sent out into Babylon and this wicked, awful, terrible nation is going to come and burn down their temple, take the gold and silver, carry it to Babylon, profane it all, carry people away and abuse them in Babylon and tear up the nation of Israel. That's the context. Okay, so then what is a guy to do? Well, what can you do? 
Well, you can trust God that he knows what he's doing. So he says, now that no one is justified. Is that talking about forensic? I don't think so in Galatians. It's behind there. The word is used in a forensic sense. I don't think it's here. That no one is justified. That is, no one is part of the covenant or part of the family by the law before God is evident for in this curse. When the curse comes, what happens? Well, people who are righteous like Daniel, they go into captivity too because the whole nation's going. And what are they going to do? They're going to live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Now, there's a quote from Leviticus, and it's right, you know, Leviticus 18, and 18 through 20 is all about these sexual sins. And the point of the section is not that it's wrong to keep the law. It is right to keep the law. And lots of pagan people who never trust Christ keep that part of the law. They don't commit incest. They don't commit adultery. They don't have sex with beasts. They're not gay. A lot of them keep it. But Israel didn't. If they would have, they would have lived in the land and prospered and had a good life, but they didn't do it. And so what happened? The land vomited them out. This is the historical setting of what he is saying. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Not get eternal life. That's not what it means. It means stay in the land and prosper. Verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Now, there is a New Testament a Christian application of that. But notice in the context, the curse is being cast out of the land. The curse is going into exile. And first, Israel went into captivity under Babylon. And then a little portion of them came back. But they were ruled by the nations, and so Persia ruled over them. Then Greece ruled over them, and then finally down to Jesus' day and Jesus' time and everything he said in Paul's time, Rome ruled over them. All of these are depicted in Daniel 7 as monsters. All going back to what? God had warned them. You know, here's our constitution. If you keep it, you'll stay in the land and you'll have a good life. This is something America doesn't see. We have a pretty good constitution. If you keep it, you'll have a pretty good life. 
But you see, the United States doesn't want to keep the Constitution anymore, and it's going to become miserable, rotten, and in the end, this country will be destroyed if we don't change our ways. So now, Israel's under the curse. All the way down to Jesus' day. The writers of his time, they know it. They know it because the promise is Israel would come back and they would be in charge. Israel hasn't been in charge only for a short time during the Maccabeans and then boom, back in, they're, they're in slavery. They don't get to do what they want to do. They cannot carry out their law in Rome. Rome won't let them carry out their law. This is the curse they're under. And Paul said right at the front edge of the book, he delivered us out of this present evil age. Isn't that something? How did he do that? Well, he did it by what we know. And in this section, he's talking about Israel. They're the ones under the curse. And he went to the cross for his people, for his nation, for Abraham and his seed. And he was hung on a cross. And Deuteronomy chapter 21 tells us that that's a sign that somebody's under a curse. And so what we call substitutionary atonement is here. It's oblique. It's not pushed right out in front of your face. You have to think about it on the cross. He took the curse that Israel bore. Justly they bore it. He unjustly bore it. He took the curse, paid the price, and now the king, the true Israel, dies, comes back to life, and all who trust him are the Israel of God, set free from the present evil age, waiting and working in the church until Jesus comes and sets everything straight. Time's almost gone. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we, that is the Jews, might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Because Abraham had promises. And the earnest of the promise, the first payment of the inheritance, is the Holy Spirit. Look at that verse. This is where we'll have to stop. Christ did this. He bore the curse of the nation in order that in King Jesus, Christ means king, the blessing of Abraham, in your seed all the families of the earth will be pleased, blessed. In, in order that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Okay, so you have this nation, and this nation has a border, and inside this border are all these, you know, however many Jewish people there are back in Solomon's day, David's day. 
and they have a law that segregates them and controls them. And, and, and when you're coming to this land, what you're supposed to see is holiness. And you look around and you see holy people, the way they live, the way they relate, the way they worship, the way they eat, all the things they do. And this is to attract you. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, people are going to look and say, what a great law you guys have. There's never been a nation with its God so near as your God is near to you. But they didn't keep the law. Now, we tend to think about keeping the law as perfectly so we can go to heaven. That is not what the Old Testament is talking about. It's talking about keeping the law, and when you sin, you go make a sacrifice. But if you keep the law, not that you're sinless, if you keep the law, you, the nation will stay in the land, they'll do their work, people will see that they're holy, and they will attract the Gentiles. That didn't happen. So Christ comes along when they're living in their curse in order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing promised to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. Well, what happened? The nation just totally fell apart under curse. How are the Gentiles going to get the blessing? Ah, one way. Here comes the one true Israelite who kept the law and who is Israel's king. So he represents all of Israel and he goes to the cross and he bears their curse on the cross so that the floodgate of the blessing is now opened up in Jesus so that, why my goodness, not only the Gentiles, but the Jews will get the promise of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely phenomenal. And if you don't understand this, you don't understand Galatians, if you don't understand this, you do not understand Old Testament history. Okay, so we didn't get to the nice, wonderful application part for us. That's in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, where Jesus is sent from the Father, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So just take note of that. That's chapter 4, verse 4. Four, five, and six. Just take note of that. Born under the law that he might redeem those who are under the law. Now, friends, Gentiles were not under the law. The Jews were redeemed so that the blessing of Abraham might flow to people like you and me. And that's what happened in Christ. And that's why you and I enjoy in our life a power that is mighty, like dynamite. A power that you and I need to rely on. A power we need to believe a power we need to remember where the New Testament says everywhere through the Spirit. Oh yeah, through the Spirit, this can be taken care of. You can be changed. You are being transformed by this power. That's what Galatians 
the last half of Galatians 3 and chapter 4 are about this power that's come to us that makes us the seed of Abraham. What's that mean? That means blessing's going to flow through us to other people. Let's stand. Father, we do thank you for all your word, and we're, as we're wrestling with Galatians, we are grateful for Romans, whereby we know from what is written, forensic justification, where the judge has pronounced us right through the person of Jesus Christ, because we've trusted what he's done for us on the cross. We thank you for that, that justification, that pronouncement. Now, as your children and the seed of Abraham, please unify us as an assembly, one little outpost of the kingdom of God. But that's just a small prayer, just a small prayer. Because you have outposts all around this world, millions and millions and millions of people who trust Christ. And we fight with each other. So we pray for unity among the seed of Abraham, like a family should have unity. And help us to learn where we differ and what differences really make a difference. And help us to live as your church around the world in such a way that as the nations look in, they will see Christ. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Close out this first hour. Let's